0: Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. What rhubarb, senna or what purgative drug will scour these English heads? Now, that's the line uh, spoken by Macbeth in Shakespeare's Scottish play that in May 1849 contributed to one of the worst riots in the history of New York City, the Astor Place Riot of 1849. Tom Holland, are you familiar with the Astor Place Riot? This is a, a, what, a riot about 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 Macbeth? About Macbeth. (laughs) No. Yeah, this is a a bizarre but true story. So, mid-19th century America, all sorts of sort of nativist passions and so on, anti-English passions... And there's this great row in New York between the supporters of two actors, Edwin Forrest, who's the sort of all-American hero, and William Charles McCready, who is batting for Britain, and the great crowds who cheer their man on, who think that their man is better at Shakespeare, better at playing Macbeth. That's
1: a great reason to have a riot. I mean, you've got to have a riot. You know what that's they shouted? You know what
0: they shouted from no. The, from, the, from the stalls? Down with the codfish aristocracy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's a kind of anti-English
0: line yeah. of some kind. That's... So, yes, so... Our subject is the Scottish
1: play. It is. Which has inspired passions yeah. down the ages. And, and rumours of curses and curses, all kinds of things. Curses, witches. Um, um, well, actually, you, you know the reason I really wanted to do this was because um, the Almeida Theatre in London, which is my favourite theatre. Favourite theatre? You have yeah, a favourite theatre I do have a favourite theatre. And they, um, they were due to kick off with a performance of Macbeth today with Zersha Ronan yep. as Lady Macbeth. And I had tickets. Uh, and it's just been cancelled because of... Because of, COVID. because of COVID outbreak, oh. I mean the whole play hasn't, but, but yeah. the tickets that I had have been cancelled. So that's very sad. So we that should is Should say a shame. to the listeners, this
0: is a very unusual, <laughs> this is a very unusual podcast, isn't it? It is. We're actually
1: for once in the same room. It is, which is a bit weird. So so we're really taking a punt here because um, obviously we're we're doing it on Macbeth, which is incredibly unlucky. So yeah. something awful is clearly going to happen over the course of recording this podcast. But also, we're having to adjust to actually yeah. kind of looking at each other. It's very disconcerting, actually, yeah. because we're
0: just kind of sitting side by side, talking to each other in a way that you just... <laughs> <laughs> i have completely forgotten how to do. Yeah, well, you just wouldn't sit like this no. in real life, would you?
1: No. I mean, not that this is not real life, but... No. Um, anyway, anyway yeah. um, so Macbeth. So, I, But the other reason I wanted to do it is because I think that um, the historical figure of Macbeth, which lies behind the kind of bloodstained tyrant of, of Shakespeare's play... He, he wasn't at all a bloodstained tyrant. He was actually a pretty good king. I mean, he was such a good king that in the eleventh the century, he was able to go on pilgrimage to Rome, which wow. is kind of the measure of, of, yeah. of how well your your kingdom is doing. And, and he could well... leave it behind. him. Yeah, and... exactly. So, the, so, so, the question is: why, How and why mm-hmm. did this very effective, um, really quite popular king become, you know, this kind of byword for tyranny? Yeah. Um, and the answer to that question. I I propose, goes to the heart of the making of Scotland. So the fashioning of Scotland out of the various constituent parts that make it up. Okay. so before we get into
0: that, I'll just say for the listeners, we will talk about the play... Tom, Tom mentioned very ominously that he thought we might get halfway through and he would have got to Macbeth's birth, which I think is is is, is bad planning. Um, but we're going to get to the play probably in the second half and we'll talk about The Witches, we'll talk about James the 1st we'll talk about the, the Shakespearean context, The Curse, and a couple of notable productions of Macbeth. Yep. But first, Tom sent me a message yesterday saying that he had gone down a rabbit hole of Scottish medieval politics and I want to see him clump <laughs> well, out. yeah. So
1: obviously all early medieval history is incredibly complicated. Yeah. A, because the sources are often very sparse. Yeah. And B, because they're often overwritten by people who have a kind of set interest in rewriting them. Yes. So it's, it's, it's very difficult and complex. And I think, you know, I put my hand up that I know the, the history of early medieval England much better than I do the history of early medieval Scotland. And there's a similar process by which kind of fragmentary kingdoms start to cohere Okay. And, and then... Like Wessex some, and Mercia in England. Exactly, become England. So a similar process happens in Scotland, but it's more complicated in Scotland, because in Scotland you have people speaking basically different languages. So to be very, very reductive, yeah. if you think of Scotland, you think of the lowlands and the highlands, and then you quarter it. Mm-hmm. So the um, the southeast corner, Lothian, up, yeah. to, up to the Firth of Forth, is basically a part of the Kingdom of Northumbria which is English-speaking. And so the, the borough in Edinburgh reflects... Oh, right. You know, it's like a kind yeah. of the burr yes. that Anglo-Saxon kings build. Yeah. They're kind of fortified marketplaces. So that, that's... that's uh, e- Middlesbrough. E- yeah, and, and and so so Edinburgh was for a long a kind of a Northumbrian stronghold. Then you think of the um, the southwest, so uh, Strathclyde. Yes, Strathclyde, right. Uh, and that is the, the... It's it's a Welsh-speaking kingdom with the Great Rock of Dumbarton.
0: Yeah.
1: Um alt uh the Rock of the Clyde. Yeah. Incredibly romantic. Then the, uh, the northeast of the, of the highlands, uh, you've got a kind of great mountain range going through the middle, kind of separating the highlands. On, on one side, the, um, uh, sorry, the western side of that, mm-hmm. you've got the kingdom of Dalriata, which is Gaelic-speaking, yeah. and has very, very strong links to, uh, to Northern Ireland. And then on the other side, you have this mysterious people who The Romans knew as Picts, yeah, and um, in due course, the Picts come to call themselves Picts, they I kind of appropriate this from
0: 1066 this. and all that,
1: absolutely. <laughs> the Picts and the Scots, so the Scots, so the Scots is the name that the people of Dalriada apply to themselves, but the complexity here is that the Scotty were originally Irish, yes, I remember that, I okay. remember that from 1066. So that's also very complicated, and and they derive their name from Scotter. Do you know who well, Scotter was? No. She was the Egyptian princess who discovered Moses and the bulrushes. And she is that's then... Very, uh, yeah, it's unexpected. Yeah. Unexpected. So she is then supposed to have travelled to Ireland yeah. and established this royal line. Unlikely, I would say. Implausible, as your father yeah. would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the, the kings of Dalriada claim a, a line of descent from the Irish or, or Scots... From, the, from ancient Egypt. From a, ultimately from ancient Egypt, because it's a marker of class. Now, in fact, this is not true, oh, or at least the point archaeological point. evidence suggests it's not true. So all, the, so there's, there's kind, there are kind of tales of the Irish colonising Dalriada, right? But there is no archaeological evidence for this just to whatsoever. Say,
0: you, you were right. You have gone down a rabbit hole. I know,
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But but this is all complicated because it's all about basically kind of kings, manufacturing backstories for themselves. So which bit is Macbeth from? Okay, so, so just, we'll come to that. Okay. <laughs> but just keep in mind that you've got, you've got the Picts, yeah. you've got the Scots, yeah. then you've got the, 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 the British, the Welsh-speaking Britons of Strathclyde, and then you've got the English of Northumbria. Okay. And this is the kind of stasis that exists until the Vikings arrive. And as in England, yeah. when the Vikings come, they smash up all the kingdoms, and it provides scope for the West Saxon kings in the long run to kind of pick up all the rubble, fashion it together, and construct a new kingdom—the new kingdom of England. Yes, the same process basically happens when the Vikings attack, because okay. because they they smash they smash up um, Northumbria, as you'll yeah. know from Bernard Cornwall. Yes, and and basically, Bamburgh is the kind of only survivor. It's, it's kind of semi semi yeah. independent. They attack and sack the fortress of Dumbarton. So the the, the kingdom of the Britons is, I mean, it, it's patched together, but it's a shadow of its former self, isn't it? That's, yes. And there's there's a, there's a battle in which a, an alliance of the of the so the Scottish and the Pictish kings are are attacked by the the Vikings yeah. and kill both the kings of of Pictland and Dalriada. And this, I, I was reading a history of early medieval Scotland, and it's a, it's an absolutely classic kind of sentence of the kind that you get in in histories of early medieval Scotland. And it said, "This is one of the most decisive battles in British history. However, we have no idea when it was fought or where, <laughs> right. or who was killed. Yeah, in it. so even know who so we don't even it. know the names of the kings. <laughs> right, but basically, it's all a great of, story. So all of the, so all of these kingdoms either get kind of smashed to pieces or decapitated. Yeah, and out of this carnage, yeah. there emerges a shadowy figure. Um,
0: Please tell me this is Macbeth.
1: No. <laughs> no, it's a, a guy called MacAlpin, McAlpin, who, who is commemorated as Kenneth MacAlpin. Yeah. And I, this inaugurates a, a wave of people called Kenneth and Malcolm.
0: It does. We're hundreds of years away
1: from Macbeth at this point, right? Uh yeah so we're we're about 870 so we're about 100 years yeah. about 120 years from his birth okay. but 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 we're getting there we're okay. getting there because the thing about the thing about uh, Kenneth MacAlpin yeah is that he establishes a line of of kings but also he seems to have um fused the uh the Dalryada and the Pictish traditions so people debate whether he was a Pict who spoke Gaelic <laughs> Uh, whether he was uh, a Gael who kind of had married into the Picts, I mean, it's it's unconfusing. <laughs> right. But basically, he's able to. So he's either to, a
0: Pict who spoke Gaelic or a Gael who spoke Pict- Pictish.
1: It, well, he doesn't speak Pictish. Okay, he definitely doesn't speak Pictish because because the significant thing that happens is that over the course of the century that follows, Pictish starts to vanish. Okay,
0: let's not get and, into Pictish. No,
1: I know. But 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 the tradition the tradition that comes to be told is that the Gaels had conquered the Picts right. and kind of wiped them out, which is yeah. why Pictish. Again, this is, this is a kind of back projection of what seems to happen, which is that there is a kind of pooling of Pictish and Dariadan identities and interests. The kings who, who, who follow Kenneth McAlpine, yeah, most of whom are called either Malcolm or Kenneth, very, very confusingly, they're able to establish this kind of kingdom that, 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 that combines the best of the Pictish and, and, and the Scottish traditions. But because it's, it's, uh, it's Gaelic speaking, yeah. Uh, it comes to be known as Alba, which is the Gaelic for, for the whole of Great Britain, but it comes to be particularly associated... Presumably with... related to Albion. Yes. So yeah. initially, so, it, so it's Alba is the kind of Gaelic version of Albion. Yeah. Uh, but but the kingdom of Alba comes to be this this Dalryard and Pictish. Um. Okay. So so that's what's going on. Then over the course of the 9th century, obviously, you have the, the English state emerging and becoming increasingly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You have Athelstan, for instance, who launches an invasion to impose English supremacy on it. And becomes emperor of all Britain. Becomes emperor of all Britain. Uh, But but his successors discover that they can't basically keep a hold on the northern reaches. Uh, I mean, not just of of Britain full stop, but of, um, you know, the northern reaches of Northumbria. Um, And so basically uh, the Scottish king starts to kind of annex them. But it's all very incoherent. It's inchoate. It's not entirely clear what's what. This is not in any way stable. Yeah, and a crucial complication here, which is a kind of gap in the sources, and so it's quite hard. It's like kind of looking for a black hole, is the uppermost reaches of what had been Pictland. So what is now kind of Inverness, Murrayforth, that right. kind of region. So it, it, this had been a Pictish kingdom called Fortriu. Right, as if we
0: and, need another kingdom.
1: And it reemerges about 150 years later. As yeah. the kingdom of Moray.
0: And that's Macbeth's kingdom.
1: Right? That is Macbeth's kingdom. Okay,
0: so I can see Macbeth. At the end. We're, we're, we're in a
1: massive tunnel, but I can just yeah. about make Macbeth so, out at the end of it. So, so, so the, two th- the, the two aspects of Scotland, when Macbeth is born in about 1000 AD, yeah. that have to be born in mind, which are subsequently kind of overwritten and, and reconfigured, yeah. are, are, are firstly, the kingdom of Alba of Scotland does not yet correspond to Scotland as it is now. Because because the kingdom of Moray, it, it it's you know it's a co kingdom it's a kind of sub kingdom but it's not entirely absorbed into the kingdom of Scotland and it's mainly in the Highlands. Or in yeah, the highlands. It's, so it's around Inverness. Yeah, uh, Cordor. Okay, so, famous so corridor. Yeah. Yes, so all these kind of places. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that the the line of succession from Kenneth MacAlpin mm-hmm. is incredibly confusing and i'm aware that everything i've said up till now is confusing yeah. so I, i'm hoping the listeners won't be <laughs> running off howling <laughs> yeah. their eyeballs dropping out at all this but there is sleep but but basically there is there is no single accepted line of succession from it because it's, under scottish law yeah. gaelic law um descendants of the, of the great-grandfather can can inherit the throne so that means in effect that the, it, Kenneth MacArthur had two sons so there are two lines of succession and they basically kind of alternate so there's no kind of primogeniture um, there is no Are you that,
0: elected by a group of nobles does it work
1: yeah basically right basically uh it, it, yes I mean if you're um you're if you're an atheling to put it in, in mm-hmm. the kind of English terms Terms uh, yeah, you, you are kind of worthy to, to to inherit, and and that depends partly on whether you you know you have the right line of descent. It's partly whether you're you're of military age. It's partly your record. It's partly your marriage. It's partly how many okay. kind of backers you have. So, so we so have that, a question about this, Tom. Yeah, we can we can we can drag this back towards the the questions that the
0: listeners sent in. S H S K English says, was it usual for Scottish kings to name their successors as Duncan names Malcolm?
1: No, right. Okay, so so uh, it, it's not usual, and and this kind of plunges us into the key about what what's happening with Macbeth and why he's such a significant figure for subsequent Scottish great. history. Great, So So, um, around uh, so early eleventh century. Yeah, the age of of Canute. Yes, great. You know. So England's, England,
0: England's focus is kind of the North Sea Empire, isn't it? Of Cnut and, and all that stuff.
1: Yes. Um, 1005, yeah. you have one of these classic events of early medieval Scotland when Kenneth, the son of Malcolm, is killed by Malcolm, the son of Kenneth. That's <laughs> so Malcolm, the son of Kenneth, becomes Malcolm II. Right. Um, and he's the king of Scotland.
2: Yep.
1: he's he's a very effective player, but the, his first. So he, the King of Scotland. This is not Moray. No, he's the King of Scotland. So, so Mo- Moray is still part. We'll come to Moray in a minute. Okay, but but we, we need to get Malcolm II. second because so he's the a,
0: King of the rest of Scotland.
1: Yes, basically. Right. Well, he's the King of Scotland because Moray is not yet a part of Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I, 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 yes, I mean, yes, it's yes. kind of complicated. Yeah, but you yeah, just yeah, got yeah. to keep in, your, in in your mind that 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 there is no Scotland. That, well, there, there, is no there, is Scotland. Scotland. there is a Scot. There is a Scot. There is no yet. Yes, it doesn't correspond to Scotland as okay. it is now. Yep. So, 1006, yep. he attacks Northumbria. Okay. I was
0: dreading you were going to say Kenneth, the son of Malcolm.
1: No, he attacks Northumbria and he gets defeated by, um, I think it's the son or the nephew of the Northumbrian Earl. And do you know what he's called? Kenneth. No, he's called Uhtred. Oh, Uhtred. Which Very nice. Are all no, fans like of that. Bertrand yeah, Cornwall. Yeah. Very good. Um, and uh, the Scots get the Scots army gets wiped out. All the nobles get... Um, yeah. uh, they get um, beheaded. Their heads get taken to the, um, the women of Bamburgh, who braid their hair. Oh, nice. Uh, and then each woman who braids the hair of a severed head gets a cow for her work <laughs> from Uhtred. And then they're stuck on spikes around Bamburgh and Durham. Yeah. Um, so this is a kind of great victory for Northumbrian arms. And it, it looks yeah. like Malcolm is, you know, he's, he's a busted flush before he's even begun. Angela but... Rayner
0: would say that's just how we do things in the North. <laughs>
1: Yes yes so well they're, yes they're treated like scum <laughs> right yes. these, these poor Scottish nobles but Malcolm is um, he's a survivor yeah. and he's a canny player and he retrenches and he consolidates his power um, and then in 1018 so um, kind of 15 years later he um, he invades again and this time it's a, it's a smashing success and this is the Battle of Carum, which effectively establishes that the River Tweed is the border between what will become Scotland and England. Right. And, and the English lands of Lothian, which have been part of Northumbria, become a part of, uh, uh, of Scotland. And, and so, so, so this is all kind of happening on. Now, Malcolm wants to nail down his, grand, his son has died, but his grandson is a guy called Duncan. We all know Duncan. Uh, and Duncan, in turn, has two sons, Malcolm and Donald Bane.
0: Okay, yes, this is all very familiar.
1: So Malcolm wants to nail down Duncan as his heir, despite the fact that there are kind of alternative candidates. Yeah. Uh, and one of those candidates is the King of Moray, who is called Macbeth. Finally. Okay. So how old is
0: Macbeth at this point?
1: So, um, well, so um, uh, Malcolm dies in 1034. Mm-hmm. So Macbeth, he's probably born around a 1,000, so he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's in his mid 30s um and he is so his grandfather was called Rory All right,
0: Rory okay. so is his grandfather Irish or Gaelic 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 yeah yeah
1: because they're all they're all starting to speak Gaelic by this point yeah. his father is called Finlay he's a rather ineffectual guy who is you know he wants to you know he has ambitions to become more powerful than he is as king of moray but he, he, he's a bit ineffectual right um, he he um he gets murdered by his nephews so macbeth's cousins macbeth has to flee probably to ireland okay um then he the, macbeth comes back by this time one of it the elder of his cousins has died but there's the younger one a guy called giller comgain because so not malcolm not no. kenneth so this is an exciting development yeah. he gets burnt to death we don't know whether it's Macbeth who does it but perhaps it was. Okay. I mean Macbeth stands to benefit. And then Macbeth marries so, Mac, so he, Macbeth marries a woman who is a descendant of Kenneth Macalpine from the opposite line from the one that Malcolm II has come from.
0: So that gives him a bit of a bit of a claim, right?
1: It does. So he's now secure on the throne of Moray. Yeah. And he's married this woman who, yeah. who becomes Lady, Lady Macbeth. And do you know her name? <laughs> Sheila Gruok. Gruok.
0: okay that was unexpected Gruock
1: and and she has a son Lulak
0: so what language is this
1: this is gaelic
0: okay that's gaelic as well
1: so there's always from the play there's always this famous question how many children did lady macbeth have yeah yeah um, because she describes having babies but then she says she has no you know yes they have no children yeah but actually they have one they have this this Lulac Lulac Lady Macbeth does. So this becomes Macbeth's foster son. So Macbeth is an obvious candidate for those who are opposed to Duncan. Yep. And Duncan, unlike in in Shakespeare's play, is not a kind of wise old guy with a long white beard. He's a rather rash, hot-tempered guy, again, again in his mid-30s, same age pretty much as Macbeth. Um, And he decides that he's going to launch a preemptive strike against Macbeth because he can see that... That um, Macbeth is consolidating his power in Moray. Uh, Duncan doesn't really want a bit of this, he, you know. It's, so he invades. Mm-hmm. Macbeth goes out to meet him, kills Duncan in battle. And so Macbeth is then the only candidate to become king, and becomes king.
0: So Macbeth has been very hard done by at this uh, judging so far. I mean, he hasn't behaved badly at all.
1: Well, apart from burning his uncle. His yes, cousin to death, yes. perhaps, but, that's but we don't even that would, that's, Yeah,
0: against that's general like, bad behavior. I, I would say yes,
1: yes. I mean that's kind of very much par for course. What's he does so
0: he's not Richard the Third. He doesn't stand out to people no. at the time. No, as, not at all. As no. tyrannical, you know. Absolutely
1: gets. not. No, not so. At all. Then
0: he he's not toppled straight away. Is he? Has a, no, he no, has no. Ten no. years or something.
1: No. Um. So um. He becomes king in in ten forty. Yeah. And Duncan's sons, Malcolm and Donald flee as they do in the play. In yeah. the play, they go to England. Probably they go to uh, Orkney, which is a kind of comp- further complicating factor because Orkney is Norse, is right. Viking. Okay. So that's a kind of further, yeah. you know, Let's thing, not get into, into the game. now. Yeah. No, we won't. We won't. And Macbeth um, rules very, very successfully. And so, you know, I said he he goes to Rome. So he and Gruot go to Rome. And they kind of issue charters, Handing out their land and things before they go, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, this is the oldest named charter. This is the oldest charter naming a queen of Scotland. It's Lady Macbeth. I mean, it's kind of amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's quite, uh, so he go. So so he. Can, Canute had gone to on pilgrimage to Rome, yeah. And he could do that because he was a great and famous king, incredibly powerful. Yeah. Nobody, you know, was going to challenge his authority while he was away. So the fact that Macbeth can do the same mm-hmm. is a tribute to. You know how how firmly Does it revolt rooted. Or anything yes, like that. absolutely. So, um so this is this is a kind of basically he's establishing an entire new dynasty. You yeah. Know, the dynasty of Moray, basically the the dynasty of Kenneth MacAlpine has been parked, and you could see that mm-hmm. um, you know if they'd had children, if 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 Lulac had in turn had his children, that this would set Scotland on a c- kind of completely dynast-, new dynastic course. Yeah. However, that is not what happens. Do
0: we have time? Will you get through this before the break? Yes, I will. Come on then.
1: How much time have I got? I
0: don't know. You've got a few minutes. Okay.
1: This is very Rachel Morley. Um. Um, so 1054. Yeah. The English invade again.
0: So it was the English. Isn't it? Well, it isn't
1: always because actually the English haven't been invading very much. So this is the first invasion since Athelstan's invasion about 100 years, be- you know, over 100 years before. Yeah. And it's it's not entirely an English version because by this point the Earl of Northumbria is is a Scandinavian Earl Seward
0: right yes
1: yes and he's married um, Uhtred's granddaughter um, and basically he's invading Scotland just for the fun of it because he's a Scandinavian warlord and because he can so he he goes and he uh, he he crosses the Firth of Forth up into the Highlands um, Macbeth it seems was aiming for a hill fort called Dunsinane but he he doesn't fight there. He gets kind of cornered and there's an incredibly brutal battle on the feast day of the seven sleepers of Ephesus, <laughs> who are um, Christians who went to sleep during yep. the persecution and wake up a century later and uh, everything's great. So this is known as the Battle of the Seven Sleepers. Macbeth ends up losing, so he has to kind of flee, but Seward, it, it's bad for him too because his son and heir dies in the battle, which again is kind of mentioned in the play. Yes. But, but unlike in the play, Macbeth is is not finished. You know, he he's able to kind of fight on because he's kind of doing the classic guerrilla tactics of retreating yeah. up into the Highlands that you know people have always done in Scotland. And the following year, Seward dies of dysentery, which is a kind of bad way for a, a, yeah, a, a but Viking it's a kind of warlord to go.
0: Occupational hazard when you're leading armies in the um, medieval period.
1: But things, but but obviously Macbeth's prestige and the stability of his, his his reign have been severely knocked. Yeah, uh, and so. Uh, He has, you know, this kind of threatening figure of Malcolm, the son of Duncan, hovering in the background, who's in alliance with the with the Norse of of Orkney. And the Norse of Orkney attack in 1057 and Lulac is slain. Hmm. Actually, by this point, Macbeth has retired and gone to a monastery.
0: All right. So So Lulac is kind of. Yes,
1: yes. So Lulac is kind of ready to become king. Yeah. But gets killed, I think, treacherously. It's The implication yes. is in kind of, you know, he goes to negotiations and gets stabbed. Yeah. Kind of very Game of Thrones style. Yeah. Um, so Macbeth comes out of retirement, meets with, um, with Malcolm and is defeated. And Malcolm becomes king. But it, again, it's the measure of the respect in which Macbeth is held that unlike in the play where you know Macbeth's body and 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 that of Lady Macbeth are exposed to kind of be a, a wonder and a horror mm-hmm. to uh to, to, to the Scots, Macbeth is given up very honourable uh, burial on the Isle of Iona, which is the traditional burial place for yep. the Kings of Scotland. Um so he he's laid to rest there. But obviously his his, his you know his dynasty is is finished and the the, the dynasty of Kenneth MacAlpine has returned to the throne. And this essentially Establishes the kind of the myth that Kenneth MacAlpine was the you know the undisputed founder of Scottish royalty, and that there is this continuous line that can be traced. And
0: then Macbeth is a usurper,
1: and therefore and and this obviously becomes incredibly important during the the 13th and 14th century in the war with with England, when England is trying to annex the Scottish kingdom. Yeah, because the kings of Scotland need to assert the fact that they have a kind of a lineage that is as straight and clear and distinguished as the English one. Yeah. And Macbeth simply doesn't fit into this story. So he has to be cast as a usurper. Great. So
0: Macbeth has lived and died. That was the real Macbeth. And now we'll take a break. And then the second half, The Three Witches, analogy, all, kind of yes. all that kind of stuff. Yes. So we'll see you after the break.
1: Drum, a drum. The rest is history. The second part doth come. That's terrible, isn't it? That's, that's absolutely shocker. Great. That's great. I
0: think you should do that every time.
1: Yes. Um, so we, we're talking about Macbeth. Um, in the first half, uh, we've plunged into the absolute bog that is uh, early medieval Scotland. <laughs> uh, and we've now dragged ourselves out of that bog. Well, you were in that bog. Yeah, I was <laughs> in that bog. You were just kind of watching, yeah. offering helpful yeah. questions yeah. and scoffing. Just laughing. <laughs> laughing. Um, so basically we've we've established the reason why um, Macbeth is kind of transformed into this figure of, of a usurper yes um and uh, by the sixteenth century when Ralph Hollinshead, the great chronicler not just of England but of Scotland and Ireland is doing his his chronicle um Macbeth the story of Macbeth with the the three weird sisters and Banquo and Macduff and all that kind of stuff it's it's there as history yes um and Dominic, we we have a question here uh, from Barry Grogan. If James I of England, the sixth of Scotland, wasn't king, would Shakespeare have ever written Macbeth? It appears to be somewhat of a Scottish story for the newish Scottish king of England. So what is the context for Shakespeare deciding to pick up on this story that he's found in Hollinhead's Chronicle and well, running with it?
0: Well, I think... Um... I don't know whether you'll disagree with this or not, but I think there's, n- there's no possibility he would have written Macbeth had it not been for James becoming king. I mean, I suppose it's, there's an outside possibility, but it, it's deliberately written for a new Stuart king. So to give the context here, Elizabeth I has died in 1603, and James VI of Scotland has become the first Scottish king to rule England as well. So there's this sort of... The Anglo-Scottish stuff is is... In The ether, there's a lot of anxiety. It's an incredibly paranoid time, anyway, as everybody knows you know, fears of plots and so on. Um, now the gunpowder plot plays, yeah. So, so Macbeth is written and
1: comes out in 1606.
0: That's when we think it was first performed. So, and the gunpowder plot, yes, okay, okay.
1: But the gunpowder plot is 1605, yes, so it's absolutely written in the shadow of that. So, that's what we think. So, basically. Shakespeare and his company, they end up becoming the king's
0: men. They have the patronage of, of James, which obviously you want if you're a theatrical company. Um, James believes that he is descended from Banquo. So, Banquo is in the, the Holland's Head Chronicles in 1577, but he's Macbeth's collaborator. So, Shakespeare changes Banquo, Banquo's character. So, Banquo becomes the voice of virtue, you know, horrified by best crimes, the ghost at the feast, and all that stuff. And Fleance's son escapes exactly. to, to become the forefather of Mary Queen of Scots and James. Precisely. So it's a bit of it's clearly flattering James in that sense. Um, the gunpowder plot stuff is absolutely fascinating. So this is what helps us to de- us to date it because Shakespearean historians have sort of you know it's all very unclear with Shakespeare when some plays were written, who wrote you know Shakespeare and a collaborator or what, um, and when they were performed. But we are pretty sure. That this is written and performed after the gunpowder plot. Because there is a whole scene in which the porter, who is there for comic relief, gives this speech in which he is mocking basically the speech that a Jesuit called Henry Garnet gave at his trial after the gunpowder plot. So Garnet relied upon a
1: defence called equivocation. You'll know much more about me than Well, he writes a pamphlet but he writes a yeah. pamphlet about it, doesn't he? And and, and um uh, what is equivocation to... again
0: remind me what it is it's
1: a well it's a doctrine of so, so equivocation up until 1605 basically means something that's ambiguous yeah so it's you know it's it's something that could be one thing or the other but after this pamphlet is found and and um Garnett is the uh, i mean he's the kind of the jesuit superior in england so yes. he's, he's top jesuit uh and he 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 was very against the Gunpowder Plot, but he'd been told about it. But he'd been told about like it under 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 the confe- you know under the law of confession. He yes, c- he couldn't he couldn't reveal it. But he kind of writes to his superiors in Rome and says, please you know do what you can pull strings to try and stop this from going yeah. ahead. But it does go ahead, and so obviously he is absolutely in the firing line. So he gets arrested, and the agents who arrest him discover this pamphlet in which he's written about equivocation being justified. Um, and and, and the, the 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 way that Garnet uses equivocation is basically that you say one thing meaning the other, so that you you won't get in trouble for Catholics. Yeah. So it's a way for Catholics to practice their faith without kind of drawing attention to themselves. But this is incredibly controversial.
0: Everybody mocks it and says this is Completely. terrible, yes. weasley yes. behavior. Garnet and, and he gets executed. Gets executed, and so we know I think he's executed or or he uses the equivocation defence, saying one thing and, and thinking another or whatever, in March 1606. And then the porter's speech in the play, it, the porter was mocking equivocation, I think, or um, talking about it.
1: Yeah, so faith, here's an equivocator that could swear exactly. in both the scales against either scale who committed treason enough for God's sake, yet could not equivocate in heaven. So so, so, so basically,
0: what you think gone. everybody thinks, right, 1606, it must be done in reaction to that, because it's in the air. Yeah. But generally, obviously you've had the gunpowder plot, the attempt to kill the king. You know, Macbeth is a play about killing a king. So it's kind of there. Of course, there have been, and it's in the context of, there have been gazillions of plots against Elizabeth I and against James in Scotland and again in England. So it sort of feels very timely.
1: Yeah. And of course, there's one other element which we'll probably come to now. Um, Yeah. So um, we've got uh, John Little. Is the role of witchcraft in Macbeth reflective of contemporaneous beliefs or is a Shakespearean era addition? So, I guess by that, I mean, you know, is it something that comes from the 11th century? Let's not go back to the 11th but, century. But, but no, it's fine, Dominic, because yeah. it isn't. Because it, yes, it's uh, absolutely yes. expressive of, of well, uh, the witch craze,
0: but specifically of James. Of James. So, James, such a strange thing. We've, we talked about James I in this podcast before. A fancy for courtiers with long legs, um, tongue too big for his mouth, mm. slobbering, wisest fool in Christendom, all of this stuff. But the weirdest thing about him, I think, is this obsession with. With witches so he writes a thing called demonology 1597 um where he talks about demons vampires werewolves and witches above all and you know why you, you i'm sure you do know because he believes he's he's been targeted by witches so this really weird thing he sailed over to copenhagen to get anne of denmark his wife and it was very stormy And when he got there, there was all these storms. And the Danes said, oh, this is undoubtedly the work of witches. Because the Danes were obsessed with witches too. The great Trier witch trials in Germany were taking place. the Danes had heard about this. They're very excited about witches. James, who's clearly a bit of a... James loves a conspiracy theory. And he's just interested in the occult and all this kind of stuff. He says, oh, yes, I probably have have been the target of of witches. He gets back. And um, they have all these witch trials, the North Berwick witch trials. And he's trying to round up now what's unclear is he really wants people to find that the the third earl of bothwell is chief witch and is orchestrating this because the earl of bothwell is his great enemy and has been plotting against him so they're constantly kind of interrogating his women and saying have you been consorting with the earl of bothwell and satan mm. and, and plotting against me so all these women lots of people are killed it's a terrible story and um james writes at length in this book, Demonology. And in Demonology, it talks about the witch trials. So the really fascinating thing is that James is obviously completely obsessed with conspiracism plots, understandably, because he's been the attempted target of them. He's obsessed with witches. And Shakespeare takes some of the stuff from yeah. James's own book and
1: puts it in the play. He does. But just just to complicate the story somewhat, um, August 1605, so if, the, if Macbeth is written in 1606, yeah. kind of a year before there's plague in London. Yeah. So there's a lockdown. Um, and James goes to Oxford to sit out the, the, the plague. And as he rides into Oxford, he's met by three young men dressed as nymphs. <laughs>
0: right.
1: And these three young men in Latin yeah. hail him kind of along the lines of, you know, hail James, king of Scotland, yeah. hail James, king of Great Britain and so on. Um and this is written by a guy called Matthew Gwyn, who's who's a kind of very scholarly playwright who's taken it from hollinshead and he's taken the, the, the uh, they're not they're not called witches in hollinshead the three women who who hail macbeth um, That's interesting. so he they're, they're called i think weird women yeah. uh, that kind of thing um and so people have, have obviously kind of thought well you know is this is this an influence and almost certainly it, I mean it, seemed, it seems impossible that it wasn't um, I mean you know Shakespeare might and how would have, Shakespeare know about it well so so he's not in London at the time so maybe he was in Oxford as well we don't yeah. know I mean you know he's king's men so or, or maybe this, heard about this it. this
0: moment with the three nymphs has this been this has been scripted and it's yes. kind of a big public
1: yeah so it's a big kind of public so shakespeare mask. could have been yeah watching. yeah so he could have watched it i mean i i think the consensus is that he wasn't there but but he would Someone obviously have heard him. about it and yeah. if he's if he's researching macbeth then definitely he would have heard about and it. and if he'd seen that james loved this yes then he'd think but obviously it the 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 um the three weird sisters yeah are, are much more menacing and dangerous well they're equivocal yeah. I mean they equivocate they, you know Macbeth talks about the equivocating fiend mm. um, and I think that um, one of the things that also reflects that the gunpowder plot is the sense that, that people in Protestant England absolutely have was that this was the work of the devil and that therefore yeah. kind of the the process of plotting against the king you know it must come from kind of the, you know the evil of human nature which is Macbeth and Lady Macbeth but it also somehow comes from a kind of darkness that is more hellish and more infernal than just human nature. And that's kind of, I mean, that, that's the essence of the play, isn't it? It's the fusion of personal evil yeah, and a kind of supernatural
0: darkness. But is it kind of personal evil, though? You know, Shakespeare was writing this at about the same time, I mean, give or take a year, as Antony and Cleopatra. And, and there's a similar kind of, you know, Antony and Cleopatra he gets a lot of that from Plutarch, there's a kind of nobility to Antony and Cleopatra that is undone tragically. Their ambition leads them astray and stuff. There's a bit of that in Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Yeah, know, they're, they're not
1: pure evil. I no, mean, they're not. But that's but that's the tragedy, isn't it? That Macbeth is a kind of great man who's who's, yeah. who's who's won a great battle and who is given you know all kinds of titles. Um, and Lady Macbeth is clearly a kind of pa- very powerful figure. Yeah, great hostess. Yes, uh, right. Well, you know, her car. You know, <laughs> brilliant clams. What could be more fun than staying there? But but they. They take this step, and yeah. from that point on, it's, it's downward. I mean, they, th- that's the essence of the tragedy. What is fascinating, actually, and Macbeth
0: is very short. So Macbeth is about half as long as Hamlet, I think. And um, some Shakespearean scholars say, you know, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth leap by Shakespearean standards very quickly from thought to deed. And their motivation is not always entirely clear. And some Shakespearean scholars think that the text that we have is a fragment of the original really? Macbeth, and that what we have basically is a prompt script, so a script that was sort of hanging around um, for the actors, but is not the definitive. I mean, as insofar as Shakespeare ever did definitive texts, but there is a bigger Macbeth, there is a kind of ur uh, Macbeth in which the characters of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are more
1: fleshed out. People doing GCSE English must be quite relieved. They must <laughs> be. Yes, I suppose <laughs> that's true. Um, so any but. Oh, of course, I mean, you know, it, wh- whether that's true or not, it, it's a play that so fam- becomes so famous. You know who's a big fan of Macbeth? Who Samuel Pepys.
0: Uh, Pepys. I didn't know that. Pepys, in his diaries, goes to see it. I think he goes about a dozen times. He'll often just say, "You know." So I wonder what, what the uh, I what went again the... to see Macbeth. Brilliant, loved it. <laughs> no, <I'm getting laughs> what do you think it. the appeal was? Uh, well, what is the appeal of Macbeth? I mean, the appeal of Macbeth is it's very action heavy for a Shakespearean play. The, the I think the supernatural is absolutely supernatural, part of it. The idea of killing a king is obviously fascinating, particularly. I mean, we live in an age of, you know, we've lived, we've, we live in an age of assassinations anyway, as did they. Yes. Um, the idea of killing. Well, a so king.
1: they they don't show the, the the death of Duncan on stage. Yeah. Which is unusual, and may well, ref, I guess, reflect sensitivities. Yes, of Showing a Scottish sure. king being murdered on stage. I'm sure. Not not a good thing.
0: I mean, you think about James the James the first, James the sixth of the Scotland. And and the experience of his mother. I mean, his mother executed... Okay, so we've got a question here from SO3
1: Clausewitz, friend of the show. To what extent has Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth coloured subsequent perceptions of ambitious and powerful women? What, if any, impact did this portrayal have on the attitudes of contemporary audiences to their recently Tudor queens, Mary and Elizabeth? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I'd have thought Shakespeare would have been straying into dangerous waters there, but I guess there's a kind of...
0: The idea of the powerful woman, obviously, is on people's minds in a way that it wouldn't have been 100 years earlier, right? I mean, Henry VIII broke with Rome because he believed no woman could rule England unchallenged. Then two women do. And then the great other glamorous kind of heroine of the second half of the 16th century, Mary, Queen of Scots, is James's mother, and she's involved in a billion plots, and she's executed. So it kind of makes sense that it's in the ether as a character.
1: So it's an incredibly political
0: play. Yeah, it's a very political play. And I think... I do think the Lady Macbeth, and yeah, I mean, the obvious model for her, I think, is Cleopatra. The mm-hmm. idea that idea that the Romans had of the sort of demonic, monstrous woman, crazed with ambition, who drives who is the weak, noble man. Yeah, this 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 noble general, but who's got one fatal flaw? He's weak, and he, he's, he's basically, you know, he's henpecked, um, and drags him down. And what's interesting is that that archetype has endured ever since. So Lady Macbeth, you know, Hillary Clinton was a Lady Macbeth figure for for Bill Clinton, people said in the 1990s. Cherie Blair. Cherie Blair. And now, you know, I've seen it, you know, lots of times, um, Boris Johnson's wife now, Carrie, Mm. Is described as Lady Macbeth, the power behind the throne. She got him to sack Sajid Javid as Chancellor, all this kind of thing. I mean, this is the classic yeah. thing that political women have to en- have to endure—that they, if you know, that they're working behind the scenes in this conspiratorial kind of spider's web yes. way.
1: Yes. Um, so, um, you mentioned um, the uh, the bust-up. Uh, in New York, yes. Are there other? You, 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 but you also at the, the top of the, the show said that you were going to unleash. I was. I've um, got I've
0: got other performances of Macbeth at my sleeve. Okay,
1: so what have, what have you got for us?
0: So if I was going to go back and see one production of Macbeth, it would be the so-called voodoo Macbeth. Do you know the voodoo Macbeth? No. So this was done by Orson Welles in 1936. I mean, Orson Welles, as many listeners will know, was sort of making great films and plays when he was about four. And he was 20 I think when he made this Is this
1: before or after the War of the Worlds On the radio that gets everyone I think uh... it might
0: actually be before I think it's a couple of years before And um, it's part of the Federal Theatre Project Which is this big kind of New Deal Kind of um, social democratic programme And he does it in in Harlem He puts on a production of Macbeth in Harlem And he says He wants to set it in Haiti So Mm -hmm. Macbeth is a kind of Slave king who's taken power uh, he has a black cast, 150
1: people. So is Duncan White.
0: No, they're all black. They're all black. They're, okay. all black. they're all black. And at first, the local Communist Party, very big in Harlem, and, um, protests against it and says, "No, he's, explo- he's exploiting black labor. He's showing he's going to show black people in a in a bad light, and it's sort of making fun of black people." But actually, after the first night, it's a tremendous success, and you can see online. Listeners can look it up amazing photos of Harlem basically gridlocked, um, people desperate to get God, into God, how this brilliant thing. to have that when
1: you're 20, 20-year-old director.
0: It's a play, The Voodoo Macbeth. I mean, obviously, you, could, you probably couldn't really do it now. would would be cancelled yeah. for some... But, um, uh, no, that that's a... And there's also another 1930s, sort of related Macbeth production, which is interesting. So Shostakovich's... Dmitri Shostakovich's um, opera, Lady Macbeth of Metsensk. So there's a 19th-century novel taking them a best story and setting it in, in kind of Russia um, this opera which Shostakovich regards as a great work. this is the work that Stalin goes to see and he doesn't like it because he doesn't like its avant-garde music and he walks out
1: so in he's a a massive conservative.
0: He is a massive well artistically Stalin's incredibly conservative but also Stalin likes kind of Shakespeare and he likes you know this kind of stuff so he's a he's appalled by Shostakovich's opera. And afterwards, Pravda condemns Shostakovich. Shostakovich is in fear for of for writing
1: life. writing modernist rubbish.
0: Modernist rubbish, and Shostakovich then goes back and ends up writing. I don't I think it's his fifth symphony. Um, much more kind of traditional music that Stalin likes. Mm. So that's another interesting production. I have one more Macbeth story actually as I okay my sleeve. So about 20, 20, 20 odd years ago, um, I once did a play at the Edinburgh <laughs> Festival. Did you about? Uh, it was Jean
1: Anouise's play Beckett about Thomas Beckett. Oh, I'm not sad. having heard the way you read I... <laughs> <the> <laughs> and, and what people don't know is that it took Dominic about 10 goes to do it that because he kept corpsing. Yeah, I did.
0: Or I was doing it in various Scottish accents. <laughs> yes.
1: So I played Beckett in this play, got, I think, two
0: stars, and the Scotsman out of five. <laughs> um, okay. And, the, and once we'd done it, sort of student play, we never spoke of it again. But then many years later, I got a random phone call when I was about to start doing my PhD, and it was the director of this play. And he said, um, I am about to take a production to America um, of Macbeth. And we've got stilt walkers. It's a huge thing. We've got lots of money. And one of the actors has dropped out at the last minute. And basically, I'm utterly desperate. We're leaving on Monday. We'll be gone for six months touring America. Could you join the production? And I said, Well, who would I be playing? And he said, Macbeth. (laughs) Oh, Dominic. And I didn't do it. Now, here's the thing. Now, here's the thing. That man went on to direct Paddington and Paddington 2.
1: Oh, Dominic. So,
0: if I'd only played my cards right, I would have been Paddington and you'd be doing this with Ben Whishaw.
1: Hollywood's Dominic Sandbrook. Yeah. Well, I mean, having heard you read. Do you want to just. Do it with a Scottish accent, because it's... My so Scottish good.
0: accent is shocking. No, I but don't. go on. What rhubarb, senna, or what purgative drug will scour these English hence
1: Well, so that, I think, leads us very on very neatly to the idea that Macbeth is a, a, a cursed play. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got lots, had loads of questions about that. So Julian Lennox speaking for many, many others. What is the story behind the play being Cursed? Uh, Julian's mum is an actress and only refers to it as La Escotheza. She's Chilean and Great. spits and knocks on wood if you say its name. But well, don't
0: people walk around the theatre and they turn around three times and have, like to that. Say, have to yeah. swear or something. Something like that. Yeah. So I read online and doing my intensive research that this is because provincial plays used to put on at Beth when they're running out of money.
1: That's what it says in Wikipedia. Yeah.
0: Not true, according to you.
1: Well, uh, so I'm drawing on James Shapiro. Okay, he's great. a
0: more authoritative source. Who I think,
1: than. I think must have written about the bust up in New York because he wrote a whole book about yeah. American reactions yes. to, to Shakespeare, which I haven't read. But I have read his book on 1606, the year uh, of King yeah, Lear, yeah. which is also the year of Macbeth. And he's, he writes loads about Macbeth. So I, I, I checked it. And he says that um, the origins of this curse is as late as the um, it's the end of the 19th century. And it originates with Max Beerbohm. He's oh, writing a review of a play and he just for fun, he makes up a story that he attributes to John Aubrey, the yeah. um, the 17th century brief lives, uh, brief lives guy who actually lived in Broughton the village where I grew up. So we're very proud of him. Anyway, so he fabricates a story which he attributes to, to John Aubrey, that the boy who was playing Lady Macbeth gets sick. Yeah. And so Shakespeare himself has to step in to uh, play Lady Macbeth. And Obviously, Shakespeare has a beard, you know, he's bald, <laughs> he's, a, <laughs> he's he's, he's an unconvincing, <laughs> he's unconvincing. <laughs> um, and uh, so this is the origins of the curse. Well, that's <laughs> it, it, that's yeah. the. much of a curse, yes. It's it's um, it's uh, and 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 that's where it, that's apparently where it begins, that's where the story begins from, but the well. But obviously he's he's going with the grain of the fact that, that there are all these yeah. witches and devils and well, know, smoke of thunder. Well, you're quoting James
0: Shapiro's and... version. The version I read came from Sir Donald Sindon
1: Yeah, so well, I'd back, you'd back you'd James back Shapiro, Shapiro, Shapiro with S- Sir Donald Sindon anytime. time. Um, so I reckon that's it. Uh, yeah. And I reckon we've done Macbeth now, haven't we?
0: We have. I think that world of Scottish politics in the Middle Ages... I mean, you, you're welcome to return to it at your leisure.
1: Oh. It, it, it is interesting, though, don't you think? I think I it mean, is interesting. About how how nations... But well, because Scottish identity now is, a, a, you know, it's a massive political fact that is, yes. uh, you know, for the whole future of, of the United Kingdom. And the fact that it kind of... You know, the idea of Scotland begins in such a... ...kind of complex, tortuous, yeah, twisted sort of way. Of and it's exactly way. the same with, 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 you know, with English identity. Yeah, of course it is. Of all national identities. Um, um, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think that Scottish identity is, is kind of weaker... ...than English identity for quite a while. And it's really the... the it's the English invasions that yeah. really consolidates it... ...and kind of prompts this the construction of this backstory... ...which... Basically, shunts Paul Macbeth to one side.
0: Yes, it's weird, isn't it? The Macbeth is probably the single best known. Is it? The, do you think it's the best known, or t- a sort of artistic dis- depiction of Scottishness over the centuries.
1: It's Certainly, the most famous depiction of a Scottish king, isn't it? Yeah. Um, um,
0: other than Braveheart, which I know you're.
1: I think it's more famous than Braveheart. Yeah. Even.
0: Let's hope so. Anyway.
1: Anyway, uh, we we I think that's enough Macbethery. It is. Um, so we will uh, we'll say goodbye we'll and. We, yeah. uh, What are we doing next? I can't remember. Oh, we've Uh, got Mary Beard talking about classics.
0: Yes, very Ah, exciting. Coming on Thursday. Yeah.
1: So uh, we will see you then.
0: Goodbye.
2: Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes,
1: early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.